Well, praise the Lord. If you're visiting with us this morning, we certainly want to welcome you to Central Virginia Assembly of God Church. I uh, want to remind you that next Sunday we're going to be doing our Christmas special. Uh, the youth and the children, they've been working very, very hard on that. They're going to be doing a, um, a, a presentation with bells. I'm looking so forward to that. I think it's going to really be. I haven't heard any of it. Um, so uh, it'll be the first time for me too. I want it to be, I want to hear it for the first time with you guys. So I'm really looking forward to that. If you want to take your Bibles out this morning, turn with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. If you find your place there, praise the Lord. I walked in this morning and asked my worship team, is everybody jolly? It is the season to be jolly, right? All right. How many remember what I preached a couple of weeks ago? Okay. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but remember you bring peace with you. When you enter the room, peace should walk in the room with you. You bring the joy of the Lord with you. You bring the presence of God with you. And so um, if, if, if people aren't feeling jolly, then you bring jolly and joy and peace in their presence. Amen. Attitudes are contagious, right? You can ask anybody in supervision, you get one guy in, in your outfit that's got a bad attitude and he'll bring the whole crew down, all right, because it's contagious. Well, a good attitude can be contagious too. You come in and bring a, a light heart and it's, and it's good. The Bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine. So we need to be merry. We need to be, be uh be, be joyful, amen? Well, praise God. Isaiah chapter 61, if you found your place there, verse one, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, the opening of prisons to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. How many? All that mourn. To appoint unto them uh, that, Mount, uh, that, the, that mourn in, uh, in Zion. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm reading and my mind is racing in another direction. Y'all just bear with me. It works like that sometimes. And, and I have trouble focusing. The, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that he might be called the tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Father, we want to glorify you this morning. Lord, we, we have made a, a, an effort, God, from our heart, Lord, from earth's humble shores, Lord, we have lifted your name in praise. Jesus, you are so, so worthy of our praise. You don't have to do anything, Lord. You have already done it. When you hung on the cross at Calvary and said that it's finished, you did all that was required to prove your love. God, you said that in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us. That's how you commended your love towards us. And Lord, we are eternally grateful because it is because of that sacrifice that we can be redeemed and transformed and changed, Lord God. 
into one that is acceptable in your sight. We praise you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This was the passage of scripture that Jesus quoted immediately after he was baptized by John. And he started his earthly ministry. The Bible said that he went back to Nazareth where he was raised. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Lord's day. And, and it was typical because that to, to have travelers, even though that was his home, he had been traveling. When a traveler comes in, they would have them read something from the scrolls. So they asked him to read and he, he asked for the scrolls of Isaiah. And it says, and when he found his place, so he's looking for this particular scripture. He read that, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me. And when he read it, he closed the book and said, this day is this fulfilled in your sight. Because they knew that was a scripture pertaining to the coming of Messiah. And so he declared to them that day that the Messiah has come and I am he. And of course they wanted to stone him for that, but they couldn't because his time was not yet come. So I, I hope you got your ears on. You're going to listen today, right? Now I asked you what I preached a couple of weeks ago and you couldn't tell me. So I don't want you to be like the doctor, the lawyer, and the preacher. They went out hunting together. A deer come running down through the woods and all three of them shot at the same time and the deer fell. But when they went over there, it only had one bullet hole in the deer. So all of them are saying, that was my bullet that shot that deer. The doctor said, no, I, I never miss. The lawyer said, well, I don't know, never miss either. The preacher said, I don't ever miss. And along comes a game morning. He said, what, what's the fuss all about? What are you arguing about? They said, well, this deer came running down through the woods. We all shot, but there's only one bullet hole in it. And we don't know who shot it. He said, well, let me look at it. He goes over and looks at it. He said, the preacher shot that deer. And they said, the preacher, how do you know? He said, because it went in one ear and out the other. Are you listening? <laughs> Amen, okay. Well, Christmas is just over a week away. Amen, are you ready? Some people's never ready for Christmas. When, when I used to Christmas shop, she does all that for me now. She loves it, I, I go, I'll be a blessing to you. But I used to never get my Christmas shopping done until Christmas Eve. I mean, I'm at the last minute going in trying to find something, you know. Jeannie, on the other hand, she loves it. She shared the other week. She loves everything about it. She even loves the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer rescuing all the unfit toys, misfit toys, you know. And she does. She likes to be right in the mix of it. Somebody asked me the other day on a Saturday, says, where's Gigi? I'm like, she's in town. They said, on a Saturday? I'm like, you don't understand. She wants to be right in the middle of all of it, you know. And, and she loves it this time of year, you know. And, and I have to admit, I, I love it too, because it is the time of year that people are lifting up the name of Jesus everywhere. Isn't that great? You go in the stores and are singing about our Messiah. Because Christianity is still the largest religious belief system in the world. That's good news. And last year, 2022... On the, uh, I think it was November the 5th, we hit the, uh, a new record of population in, in the world. It was 8.1 billion people in the world. And out of the 8.1 billion people, there's 2.832, 2.8 2 
32 billion people. Yeah, that's 31% of the world population is Christians. Uh, uh, compared to Islam, which is 1.9 billion, 24%. And Hindus, the, the next closest to it is 1.16 billion, which is 15%. In America, there's 332 million people that we can account for. Don't take me there, but that we can account for. And out of them, 210 million people in America profess that they believe that Jesus was who the Bible says that he is. And by that definition, they're Christian, not necessarily because they are born of his spirit, but they believe that the Bible is true and Jesus is who he says he is. So they are identified as believers in Jesus Christ. And, and that makes it for 63% of our nation is still Christian by definition. And so that, that is good news, you know, and I praise God for that. But uh, we, we looked this morning at the meaning of Christmas. And, and as I said, we, we love it. I love the Christmas carols. I love to hear joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let the earth receive her king. Amen. You go in the store and they're saying, they're singing that. I'm like, praise God. You know, that's just, that's wonderful. And, and just this week, I go in, Jeannie, she's all, watching all the Christmas, all of them, A-L-L, -L, the, the Miracle on 34th Street, all of them, you name them. And I go in the other day, and she's watching Charlie Brown Christmas. That's a classic. Who's seen Charlie Brown Christmas, all right? And they're running around. It's like, what's the meaning for Christmas? And Lucy's like, well, I always get toys and bicycles and junk like that. They said, well, what do you want? She said, real estate. I said, my, I think my son married her. <laughs> I want real estate for Christmas. They always buy me toys and junk, you know. And so he's looking. Charlie Brown says, doesn't anybody know what the real meaning of Christmas is? And here comes Linus with his little blanket. And he says, I know what the meaning of Christmas is, Charlie Brown. And he says, spotlight, you know, and he's on the stage. And then he quotes Luke chapter 2. You know, that there were shepherds abiding in, their, in the fields, watching over their flock by night. And he, he quotes all of that. And and then he says, that's what Christmas is really all about, Charlie Brown. And then they join in and start singing, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. Have you ever really stopped and really looked closely at the words of that song? Because it is powerful. It was written by Charles Wesley. That's John Wesley's brother. And it says, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners are reconciled. Brother, that's good news right there. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim. What is he saying? The heavenly hosts saying glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. He said, let us rise up and join that heavenly host in singing. The Savior has come. Messiah has come. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold, he come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail, the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. 
Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lay his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Praise God. They're singing that in the stores this time of the year. Amen. It is a season to be jolly. Praise God. The the best time of the years. The oldest carol is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It was written around 300 or 400 A.D. by John Francis Wade. It was written in Latin. Translated in 1841 into English by Frederick Oakley. But there's a song I wanted to look at this morning, and I want to focus our, the message this morning around this song. It says, O come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Now, I want you to look this morning at who God really summonsed to Bethlehem. I titled the message, Look Who Come to Bethlehem. Oh, come all ye faithful. How many this morning could truly say that I am faithful? Jesus can count on me anytime, anywhere, for anything. Sometimes I don't serve when I should serve. How many could say that? I don't always serve when I serve. Maybe you say I used to serve but I'm not serving like I used to. Sometimes I come, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I I used to come, but I just don't come anymore. I used to give, I used to pray, but I'm not always faithful. I remember when I was struggling with getting my feet under me as a a lead pastor, because this is the first time I've ever pastored a church as a lead pastor. I've been an associate pastor in two churches before this one. But his first time as a lead pastor, and, and, and I remember one of the, we used to call it the district council, now it's called the lead conference. We have it every year for our district coming together. They said, the hardest thing you'll ever do is your first pastor. Another hardest thing you'll do is a church plant. Another hardest thing you'll do is a building project. I was doing all three at the same time, you understand? Don't you feel sorry for me, come on. I was trying to get my feet under him. I was struggling. Those, those early years, it was, it was rough. And I remember going to one of the district councils and, and a, a bunch of seasoned men of God, been in the ministry for years, you know. They said, uh, Brother Bernie, we're going out for lunch. You want to go with us? It was three of them. And I'm like, sure, I don't have any plans. Sure, I'll go. I mean, I wasn't down or anything, but I went and sat at the table as these three men spoke wisdom into my life. All of a sudden, I, I didn't... I didn't know they were inviting me to dinner just to focus on speaking into my life. I guess they knew that I was first-time pastor, church plant. One of them was the guy, Greg, Greg Vogt. He had helped us plant the church here. And, and they're speaking into my life. And, and I went back to the district, and I remembered something that Jeannie and I were taught in, in, a, in a class we went to by Ron McManus. And it says, if you're going to wear the hat than be a team player. And I was reminded of that because I I thought about it. I said, you know what? Out of that district council, the thing that I took away from that 
wasn't what they taught, wasn't what they preached, it wasn't what was going on in the service. It was what those three men spoke into my life at that table. And it occurred to me that they had been to every district council for years upon years upon years. They probably wasn't going to hear anything at that district council they hadn't heard a dozen times. They didn't really need to be there. But I, I needed them to be there. Are you hearing me, church? Maybe you don't need to come. Maybe you don't need to be faithful, but there's somebody that needs you to be faithful. If you're going to wear the hat, be a team player. And it occurred to me they're wearing the hat and they're there because they're a team player. They don't have to be there, but they're there because somebody's counting on them. We need to be faithful, amen? Not everyone is joyful at this time of the year. This time of the year, it has been said that suicide rate rises at Christmas time. That is a myth, just so that you know. It doesn't get higher at Christmas. However, it does occur because of Christmas. There is an increase in depression, in loneliness, anxiety, and stress around the holidays. 30,000 people per year in the United States take their own life. 30,000 people per year. There is one attempt every minute in the United States of somebody trying to end their life. Worldwide, suicide claims more deaths than accidents, homicides, and war all combined. Most are not because of rational reasons. They're due to mental disorders. But there is one that is called SAD, S-A-D, and it's seasonal affective disorder, and it occurs around the, the holidays, and people take their lives because there is, people are depressed and stressed and anxiety sets in. Many are the results of second-person auditory hallucinations. In other words, they hear voices. Well, we all know what that is. That is demonic. That is a demon speaking to people. Take this, take the pill, take the gun, take the knife, whatever, and end your life. This time of year brings out a lot of sorrow. There's some explainable reasons for that. It's the most darkness that we have during the year naturally. In darkness, it, the, the, the rays of the sun actually affects you, not having a lot of sunlight. This coming Thursday will be the winter solstice, December the 21st. It's when they have the longest night and the shortest days. And then, thank God, it turns around and the days start getting longer. I, I love it up to June 21st, and you have the summer solstice, the longest day and the shortest night. And then, doggone it, the nights start getting longer again. And, but listen, you can have the joy of the Lord in every season. Amen. And there's people that needs to see the joy. You need to bring it with you. Amen? Come on. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I tell people, sometimes I, they think I act a little goofy. That's all right. There's probably some definition for what I have. I don't know. They probably got some, they call it, but a merry heart does good like a medicine. So uh, I'm healthier than most people because I like to be happy sometimes. And I preached on that a couple of Sundays ago. It's a decision you make. You're going to be happy or not? Is everybody happy? 
There used to be a comedian that did that. How many remember that? Was it Jackie Gleason? Was that who did that? Who was it? Is everybody happy? Hey, hey, hey. And Fat Albert, he is always happy. But it does. It brings a lot of sorrow. Some of it is, is spiritual, you know. Studies show that the main cause for depression around Christmas is unrealistic expectations. It's an excessive self-reflection. The life that I hoped would, I would be living in stark contrast to where I actually am in life. And people will get depressed over that. We picture this ideal life at Christmas surrounded by family and friends. But in a lot of cases, you know, the family members have died. And Christmas is just a reminder of, I remember when we used to. And they don't anymore. Divorce. A lot of people divorce and they just, they want the, the, the relief of the pain of what was supposed to be. And it didn't happen. Empty nest, you know, children grow up, they go off to school and the house is empty, you know, or they get married and move away or they just grow up and move out on their own and, and parents are left alone at, uh, at home and they're looking back and thinking about the good old days, you know, and it depresses them. People are just disappointed in life where they are and they begin to look at their life choices and the bad choices they made. I call that a season of the soul. Look at missed opportunities. So we don't always feel faithful. We don't always feel joyful and triumphant. But is that really who God summons to Bethlehem? Because I tell you a little bit, I take issue with that song. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Is that really who God called to Bethlehem? Who did God summons to Bethlehem? Pagans. Matthew chapter 2, look at it with me, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the day of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. These are known as the Magi. All right, well, who are the Magi? Well, contrary to popular belief, they were not kings. I hate to bust your bubble, <laughs> but they weren't kings. The Magi, we get that from Christian tradition. They take it from Psalm 71, 72, I'm sorry, verse 11. It says, yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. And they assume that these men came and fell before him. They must have been kings. Well, they weren't kings. That is a prophecy of what's going to happen in the millennial reign when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. So who were they? There could have been as many as 12 of them. In the East, the Magi traditionally numbered 12 men. They assumed that there were three because they brought three gifts. They called gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And there was symbolic prophetic meaning to that, gold representing kingship, Frankincense representing worship, a sweet-smelling saber ascending to the Lord, and uh, myrrh representing his death and burial and mourning. The truth is, these were court astrologers from modern-day Iran and Iraq. They were the Medes and Persians, whom we know as the Babylonians. 
They were involved in the worship of the stars. That's why they were studying the stars. They didn't just study them like astrologers. They worshiped them. So when we see astrology mentioned, it's always listed among magicians, sorcerers, soothsayers, and these men who were known as the Chaldeans. All of those things were condemned by God. God condemns worshiping the stars in astrology, soothsaying, it's witchcraft. So they're only mentioned in the book of Daniel in connection to King Nebuchadnezzar and in the book of Isaiah when he's prophesying about Babylon. Daniel chapter 2, look at it with me, verse 1. Are you with me? Say amen. Is it going in one ear and staying? Okay, just checking. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, and in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Verse 2, and the king commanded, then called the magicians, the astrologers, that would be your magi, and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, for to show the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. The magi were there. They were astrologers. They studied and worshiped the stars. Chaldeans were one of the tribes or nations that made up the community of Babylon. And they they were devoted to the practice of the occult art and secret sciences. So they're practicing occult, devil worshiping. Do you understand? These were not godly men. One commentator wrote and said, the Chaldeans were so much devoted to these secret arts and became so celebrated for them that the name came among the Greek and Roman writers to be used to denote all those who laid claim to extraordinary powers in this department. The Chaldeans, so named, not from their art, but from their nation, and they're supposed by a prolonged observation of stars to have wrought out a science, now get this, by which could be predicted what was to happen to every individual and to what fate he was born. We call that the zodiacs. Uh, so, uh, how many remember newspapers? The people, I don't know if you can get newspapers anymore. But some people would get the newspaper and every day they would look at their zodiac to see what's going to happen to them today. Church, we don't look to the stars for our life. I look to the maker of the stars, amen, to dictate my life. Because if you're looking at that, let me tell you something about your zodiac sign. It means nothing. What does it mean if I'm born under uh, Leo? Nothing. You know why? Because she was born under Leo. And I was born under Leo. According to the Zodiacs, we're not supposed to get along. (laughs) Our marriage was not supposed to work according to astrology. But I will have you know that this Wednesday, we will be celebrating our 49th wedding anniversary. (laughs) Amen. And for the record, she still lights my fire. I heard a song a, a, a couple of years ago. I hadn't heard it in years, and I adopted it as our theme song. They say somewhere there's a promised land, and I'll be there someday if you will hold my hand. 
I need you there beside me no matter what I do because I know I'll never find another you. It's a long, long journey, so stay by my side. When we walk through the storms, you'll be my guide. They could give me a fortune and my troubles would be small. I could lose it all tomorrow. Wouldn't mind at all. But if I should lose your love, dear, I don't know what I'd do because I know I'll never find another you. Zodiac says we're not supposed to feel that way towards each other. She feels the same way. You say, Pastor, you get too mushy. Huh? Can I let you in on a little secret about making your marriage happy? If you're always griping and complaining about your mate, why do you think you don't like your mate? You're only getting what you're asking for. Huh? Why don't you try speaking a blessing over them? Why don't you say, he still lights my fire. She still lights my fire. She's still the apple of my eye. I know I'll never find another you. And start speaking blessings over your marriage, and it'll change the way you feel about each other. Does that mean that she's never going to make me want to bang my head against the wall and choke her? No, those times come too. She wants to drive over my head with a Dunlop sometimes. But if you put the things about your mate on a scale, what you're going to find is there's far more that you like about them than you dislike about them. So why do we capitalize on the minority instead of the majority? Amen? And if you start reversing that, it'll change the way you feel about each other. And it'll work. Amen? That's not a part of the message. I just, you got that for free. But practicing the horoscopes is practicing the dark, dark arts. And the Magi worshiped and connected with the occult. God summons pagans to Bethlehem. Why? Because he said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. It's those that are sick that need a physician, not those that are healed. Jesus draws pagans to him. I, I remember, um, if we go by my watch, we're going to be here for a while. When I got up, it was 9 o'clock. My watch said it was 20 minutes to 7. So, No, I'm, I'm going to watch that one back there. I remember years ago, it was in 1978, I read a book called The Miracle at Midnight, and it's a story about an Indian boy whose father was, an, was a priest in the Hindu temple. And he kept asking his dad, said, Dad, which is the greatest of the gods? The one that created all the other gods. And he took him in and showed him this statue, said, this is the greatest of the gods. This created all the other gods. He said, but Father, this is made. Someone made this god. How could it be the creator of all things? And he slapped him and said, don't ask stupid questions. But he set him on a quest to find who is the God above all gods, creator of all the other gods. And it led him on a quest to find this God. And he, and he, he was out actually watching cattle for a wealthy man as a, as a job. And Jesus Christ appeared to him. His name was Gabel. And Jesus appeared to him in a, in a night. And all the other boys, they, they all saw it. They ran away from the fire, but he didn't. He stayed. And he said, go into the Himalayan mountains and you shall, you shall find for what you seek. 
Well, there was a long, long ways away. So he started on this journey to go to the Himalayan mountains and he decided I'll never reach there. So he said, what I will do is I will climb the tree. I will kill myself and come back as the great eagle and I will fly because he believed in reincarnation. He's up in a tree with a rope tied around his neck and tied to the limb. And suddenly he sees a white man. He'd never seen a white man before. And it was a missionary. And the missionary said, I was in prayer and God told me to come to the jungle and I would find a boy in the trees or whatever. I don't remember the details of it. But anyway, he took him in and taught him about Jesus Christ. He changed his name to James Jacob. Gene and I had the privilege of hearing him speak. Our pastor, Nathan Grooms, went over there to India and, and preached in his multitude. He, he's preaching one night. I'm on a rabbit path. Let me run with it, okay? He's preaching one night, and he preached for, for several nights, I am a jealous God, and I will have no other God before me. And the Hindus told him, said, tell the American, if he preaches against our gods again, we will stone him to death. And he said the next night he was in prayer and he because they got lights. They just kind of illuminated the crowd to preach it at night because they're working all day. And said, God, what I preach, they told me not to preach this again. They're going to stone me to death. God said, preach that I am a jealous God and I will have no other gods before me. So he stood up and he said he could see them in the background with the stones in their hands to stone him to death. And he started preaching. Suddenly they stowed the stones down and ran away. And they sent word later on, he, just, he learned that when they, when they were standing there ready to stone him, they saw two men standing on either side of Brother Nathan, dressed in solid white, and they were about nine feet tall. And they scared him and they ran away. So anyway, that was James Jacob. And so see, he was a pagan, a pagan boy raised by a pagan father in pagan worship. But that's the kind of people God sent to bring to Abraham. Why? Because he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to those that are captive. Come on, church. To open the prisons to those that are bound. He sent me so that they could become the faithful, the joyful, and the triumphant. Who else did he call to himself? He called the outcast. Luke chapter 2, we read it every Christmas. Verse 8, and there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto me, unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. Everybody say good tidings. Man, there's, there's never been a greater tiding than this. It's of great joy, which shall be to all people, not just the faithful, not just the joyful, not just the triumphant. Come on, to the outcast, the broken, the downcast, those in prison. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And you shall find, and she shall be a sign unto you. You shall find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So there was with the angels a multitude in the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Come on, peace. God's not at war with you. Amen? Peace and goodwill towards men. God wants good for us. Goodness and mercy follows me. Amen? And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them in heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known 
unto us. You see, angels, don't, they didn't appear to the Pharisees. Huh? The faithful. They didn't appear to the priest. They didn't appear to kings or prophets, to the faithful, the joyful, or the triumphant. They appeared to the outcast because on the ladder of social uh, standing, the, the shepherds climbed to the lowest rung of the ladder and jumped off. In society, they were the lowest of the low. They constantly broke the law. They worked on Shabbat or Sabbath. They didn't attend feast. They were uneducated. They were the lowest socially and economically. Shepherds were held in such disregard in Christ's day that if there was a crime committed and the only person that saw it was a shepherd, they wouldn't even summon them as a witness because nobody trusted the shepherds. That's how low they were. They were the outcast. Nobody had anything to do with them. They were dirty, nasty, stinking, sleeping with sheep all the time. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. Jesus continues to summons those that are rejected and look down upon today, church. We need to understand that. Those who are weak and weary. He says in Matthew chapter 11, 28, come unto me, all you that labor. Come on, those that are struggling. Not those that are victorious necessarily. Those that are struggling. If you're struggling, you wonder, it's always seemed like a battle. It's always like an uphill climb. You are the very ones that he said, come unto me. Those of you that are laboring. Those that are heavy laden. Not those that are triumphant. Those that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come on, the yoke is just simply being hitched up to Jesus. Because they would take a young oxen that didn't know how to pull, and they would put him in the yoke beside an old, strong oxen. And what they're doing is the old strong oxen is pulling the load and many times dragging the young oxen with him. That's what Jesus is talking about. I'm the old ox. I will carry the load and I will carry you too. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I remember when, when my grandson was really, really small, we were talking about people getting into trouble and he spoke up. He was a little bitty guy. He said, well, just stay close to Jesus and everything will be all right. That was profound. Just stay close to Jesus and everything will be all right. Why? Because he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to them that are bound. God summons broken, messed up people. Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it said, one of the Pharisees desiring him that he would eat with him. Who is this? Who's the Pharisees? The faithful. Huh? The joyful. He's got everything. He's rich. Got a nice home. Got it all. Respectable. Well-educated. He's honored. And he summoned Jesus. Come into my house and eat. And I look at the next thing. line it says, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Church, what you need to understand, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door unto me, I will come in and sup with him. The Pharisee asked him to come to his house, and he came in. When we ask him to come in, he comes in. Because he didn't just come for the down and out. 
Jesus came for the up and out too. Verse 37, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought in an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet, anointing them with the ointment. Verse 39, and when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that is touching him, for she is a sinner. Let me summarize. Jesus summons pagans, Outcast, weary, broken, messed up people. Now, we sat here this morning, and when you hear that, it's like, yeah, he summons them the weary, the broken, the outcasts, the messed up people. But, church, the fact is, we're all messed up. There was a time in your life when you were the broken, outcast, weary, messed up person that Jesus summons to him. Some of you this morning may be thinking, if the people in this church just knew what I used to be, they knew what I'd done. If the people in this church knew what I thought sometimes, then they would know that I am not the faithful, joyful, triumph person. No, I'm the weary or the outcast. The one that is prison and bound. Now, if you're messed up today, what I would like to say is that you're in the right place. That's what I'd like to say. If you're weary, if you're messed up, if you're broken, if you're a prisoner, you're captive, you come to the right place. That's what I'd like to say. But is that true? When we planted the church here, I, I remember in the old building there, when I stepped through the door the first time of the first Sunday, I remembered being in another church, and somebody came into our church, and they didn't want her there because she was one of those kind of women. Another family came in, and they was hoping they would go to church somewhere else. Remember one Sunday... A predominantly white church, a friend of ours invited a man of color into the church. And one of the deacons said, they've got their church up the road, let him go up there. It angered me. And it broke my heart. And I said, God, I want this church to be a church where people that's not even welcome in the foyer of other churches feel welcome here. Make it a hospital for people that are hurting. That's my prayer. But is it true? Is this the right place? And I pray that it is. But we never want to be like the Pharisees that looked down on somebody and said, if they only knew, if he only knew who was touching him, for he's a sinner or she's a sinner. Because if we're going to be like Jesus, how often do we need to be reminded that he came for those very people, the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to those that are in captive, the opening of prison to those that are bound, yeah. to make them faithful, joyful, and triumphal people.
What kind of church are we really? There was a pastor in Philadelphia. This is a true story. He was invited to a speaking engagement in Honolulu. But when he got in there, he was suffering from jet lag. And so he, he was trying to go to sleep. He couldn't sleep. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and he couldn't sleep. So he gets up, and he says, I'm going to go get something to eat. Well, the only thing that's open at 3 o'clock in the morning in Honolulu are the bars. And so he goes in, he finds this bar, he goes in, and he orders some breakfast. And they, they cook some breakfast. I guess there's a, like a waffle house slash beer joint. I don't know. But he's sitting there eating the breakfast, and two prostitutes walked in. And they were real loud and obnoxious. And, and one of them says, tomorrow's my birthday. And the other one said, well, who cares? She said, well, I've never had a birthday party. And they went on for a little while, and they walked out. So he goes up to the, to the proprietor of the bar and says, does that lady come in here often? He said, who, Agnes? Yeah, she comes in here every night about the same time. He said, why don't we throw her a birthday party? The bartender said, you know what? That's a good idea. I said, you get the cake and I'll call some people. So the next day, the pastor shows up with a cake, brings it into the bartender. They call some people. That night, Agnes walks in and the whole crowd of people start singing happy birthday. They got ready to cut the cake, and she said, no, 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 don't cut that cake. She wouldn't let them cut it. They said, why not? She said, I want to go show it to my mother. So then the pastor says, could I pray for you, Agnes? And the bartender got mad. He realized he was a pastor. He said, what kind of church do you go to? He said, the kind of church that throws a birthday party for prostitutes at 3 o'clock in the morning. He said, there is no such church because if there was, I would join it. True story. But church, I believe that's the kind of church that Jesus would pastor. Amen. I want us to be that kind of church. I want to be that kind of pastor. That doesn't mean we excuse what they do, but we love them in spite of what they do. We don't always know people's history or their baggage when they come in, but we've had people come in that they didn't have a very good history. You know what we did? We loved them. We loved them. We didn't condemn them. I would tell them the truth for the word of God says this and that. And the word sometimes would offend and sometimes it would convict. Sometimes it would offend them to the point that they wouldn't come back. It was not my intention. But I want us to be the church that offers hope to everyone, to the faithful, the joyful, the triumphant, to the pagan, the outcast, the broken, the weary, and the messed up and the rejects. To the up and out, and the down and out. You know what they have in common? The up and out and the down and out? They're all out. Right? And we'll close with this. Jeannie and I, we watched this week a movie called The Blind. I don't know if you've seen it or not. The Blind. It's the life story of Phil Robinson, the Duck Dynasty. 
And they're sitting in a duck blind. That's where he got his name. And he's talking to a friend. His friend said, I know that you've changed your life, but how did you get there? How did it happen? And so he's telling him his life story. And he was a messed up person. He got to the point because he was a self-reliant person. He, his, I don't know if you know this about Phil Robertson, but his second string quarterback was, help me remember, what's his name? Terry Bradshaw. He, he could have went on and, and, and been a Super Bowl star, Phil Robinson could. He said, but, said, uh, Terry Bradshaw chose the Bucks and I chose the Ducks, he said. And I think we're both pretty happy. And so he, he tried to live his own life his own way and he, owned, he bought a bar and, and, and uh, his sister got involved in church. And she brought the pastor to his bar to preach to him and he threw them both out. Well, when he finally come to the end of himself, everything that he did, it all failed. His wife had left him. He lost his family, lost everything. He lost his bar. He lost, he's broke. He's out living in a little camper trailer out in the middle of the woods and it was just a wreck. The pastor came to see him and he said, preacher, what do you do when everything you touch turns to a disaster? What do you do? Pastor thought about it a minute and he said, I'd stop touching stuff. <laughs> what do you do when everything you touch, it turns to a disaster? Stop touching it. He said, Phil, God wants you to die. He wants the old Phil Robinson to die. All the ways you've done everything, it all needs to die so that he can give you a new life, Phil. Yes. A brand new beginning. Make a new man out of you. And he did. He baptized him and it changed his whole life. At the peak of their show, Duck Dynasty, GQ Magazine interviewed Phil Robertson and he said, Phil Robertson, everything is blurred on what's right and what's wrong. Sin becomes fine. The, uh, the interviewer said, what in your mind is sinful? Phil said, start with homosexual behavior and just morph out from there bestiality, sleeping around with this woman and that woman and that woman and those men. And then he quotes 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be deceived, neither adulterers nor idolaters nor prostitutes, homosexual offenders, the greedy, the drunkards, the slanders, the swindlers. They don't inherit the kingdom of God. He said, don't deceive yourself. It's not right. He said, we never ever judge someone who is going to heaven or hell. That's the Almighty's job. We just love them and we give them the good news about Jesus. Whether they're homosexuals, they're drunks, or they're terrorists, we let God sort them out later. Do you see what I'm saying? You see, the good news is not good news until one realizes that there is bad news. Phil Robinson had to realize, I am lost in my sin. I had to realize that there's some bad news. The wicked will die. The bad news that is everyone is sinned and comes short of the glory of God. That at some point we're all broken and captive and bound and prisoners to their sin. We're slaves to our sin. But the good news is that a babe in a manger came and he would be anointed by the Spirit of the Lord to preach good tidings unto the meek.
He was sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of prison to them that are bound. You see, Phil Robinson making the statement about what is sin and what is not is a part of our duty as Christians, and it is the kindest, most caring and loving thing that we can do. Ezekiel chapter 317 says, Son of man, I, this is God talking now, Son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. Therefore, hear my words, hear the words of my mouth. This is God speaking. And give them warning for me. When I say, the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways. To save his life. Church, it's not pointing your finger and condemning people. You're saving their life by helping them see that you're lost in your sin. And Jesus is the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can help you. He's the only one that can set you free from the bondage of sin. He said, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hands. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wicked way nor from his wickedness or his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you've delivered your own soul. You see, we don't reject sinners, but I don't think we should be bullied into silence by them either. That's right. We need to warn them. So I stand with Phil Robinson in that position. The world needs to know what God has said. What did he say? The wicked shall surely die. But we need to take the message to them that they don't have to because Jesus came to set them free. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? God, we thank you this morning that in a manger, thousands of years ago, the greatest gift that was ever given to this earth lay there, Lord, and he came to save those that are lost, Lord, the pagans, the outcasts, the weary, the broken, the messed up people. God, you came to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, so that they can be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that you may be glorified, Lord. God, you came to make them faithful, joyful, triumphant. God, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice today. Lord, if they're living in a life of compromise, God, may you set them free today. Help them to realize the condition of their sin and help them to realize that they don't have to live that way anymore. Pastor told Phil that day, you need to die. The old man needs to die so that a new man can be born. You can have a new beginning. God, I pray for every person that hears this message. They will realize that if everything they're touching is a disaster, if it messes up, it never works out, they need to just stop touching it and just give it to you, Lord, and let you work it out for them. God, I pray. I know, Lord, that you you want good for us. You came to bring good tidings good tidings of great joy. 
And Lord, I pray that the world will realize, God, I, I rejoice today that much of the world is, is, uh, 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 still acknowledges that you are the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus. But Lord, I pray that revival would break out across the land and that more and more people would realize their need for a Savior. God, America's in a dark, dark place. Sin prevails everywhere, Lord. It runs through the streets like an open sewer. People don't have shame anymore. You prophesied that the day would come that they would not blush, neither would they have any shame. And Lord, we're seeing that today. They rejoice and celebrate in wickedness, God. Crime in the streets, celebrated. But Lord, you are still God. You still rule. And you can still change the hearts of men. And God, I pray that you do whatever's necessary to bring people to a place of realizing, like you did with Brother Phil, realizing their need for a Savior. In the meantime, God, I pray that you would move on our hearts, Lord, to warn people of their wickedness, Lord, but to not reject them, Lord, and not judge them and not criticize them, Lord, in their, but God, just to love them. Point them towards Jesus. And then set them free, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning, you want to come to the altar, we would love to pray with you if you have any needs whatsoever. As the worship team leads us in our closing song, the altar is open. Name it. 
Lord, we pray that, that our family will increase, God, the body of Christ will grow, Lord, as more and more people who don't know you will come to know you and be a part of the family, Lord. God, we thank you that we've had this time together today. Lord, I pray your blessing on the word today, God. May we be uh, uh, doers of the word now, God, and go out and put it into practice, Lord. Till that time, Lord, I pray a blessing over the body of Christ and over every home that is represented here today, Lord. May their homes be the refuge, Lord, an escape from the world and worldly things, a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome, that you would strengthen the family, Lord. Today, God, I've talked about husbands and wives loving each other. God, may that love just abound and grow, Lord, in every home. That parents and siblings will love each other. Children will be obedient to their parents, Lord. They will love each other. Those that are walking their journey alone, Lord, may they find that special person that they can give their life to and love. And Lord, those that are content by just serving you and living, living and loving you, Lord, may you just fulfill them in every possible way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church.